Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when those doubts come up, I have to remind myself that uh, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be here forever. You're not going to be here forever. At some point, our physical body is 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 going to be gone, and you won't have the opportunity to even make the decision to do it. And so, I do it, whether I'm afraid or not. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? Cool. Well, my name is Rosetta Thurman, and I am the founder of Happy Black Woman. And um, originally, I am from Ohio, (laughs) Painesville, Ohio, which is a little town about 45 minutes from Cleveland, Ohio, which most people know about here in the U.S. Um, And right now, I am in Connecticut. I have traveled all over the world, and I never thought that I would end up in Connecticut. Um, it's actually my first time being in New England, like ever. Uh, and that's actually um, because my honey bun, my partner, my man, he's in the military and uh, there's a submarine base up here. So we're here exploring New England and taking some very interesting road trips to Maine and New Hampshire, places that I never, I never thought that I would go and they were never on my travel list. But that's where I am now. So talk to us about little baby Rosetta. Like I can't even imagine a, a small child named Rosetta. That's just so <laughs> cute to even imagine. <laughs> because of the name. Yeah. Or- <laughs> like, <"Hey>, Rosetta. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, baby Rosetta was actually um, raised partly by my grandmother. And uh, my mom had me when she was a teenager. So um my grandmother had the honor of naming me and she named me after her mother so i was named after my great grandmother whose name was willie rosetta and i'm so grateful that she chose her middle name and not her first name because you'd be talking to willie right now yes that was definitely like a thing back in the day i have an aunt named johnny may mhm <laughs> I don't know why. I have to I have to look into that. But that was they used to name them, you know, masculine names or what have you. Right. And I used to not like my name because it was different and um it sounded uh it, it it's an, an older black woman's name. And uh if you didn't know that, you might think that it was uh um Spanish or Italian. And when I really went back and researched it, it, it is an Italian name. <laughs> and um, and when I started traveling, people would ask me and they would say, oh, are you from it- Italy? When I first went to Italy, uh, they called me Rosetta, like with um, an E instead of an A. And uh, it means beautiful like a rose. And I was like, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about 
what it was like growing up for you. Um, so you said your mother was a, a teen mom and your father yeah. was also very young. Um, yeah. Tell us about what your experience was like having such young people have stewardship over your life. Yeah, well, um, I was a very, I had to grow up fast. I had to grow up and, and um, be aware of my surroundings and kind of be older before I was older. And so I've always known and thought and felt like I was an old soul. And it probably um, helped that my grandmother, you know, helped to raise me. So she, you know, would play her old records. And I'm like growing up listening to Smokey Robinson and uh, The Temptations and, um, you know, Teddy Pendergrass. And I'm like this five-year-old little girl. <laughs> um, and, and that's what I love now. I love I love old school music. I mean, that's, that's uh, what I prefer to listen to. Um, it, but being in that environment, I learned a lot quickly and I was a precocious child and I was very um, curious and inquisitive. And in fact, my nickname when I was younger was Nosy Rosie. <laughs> like people still call me that today, Nosy Rosie. Um, someone bought me a magnifying glass uh, for my birthday one year because I wanted to be like Nancy Drew or um, who else was it? Uh, Carmen San Diego. Carmen San Diego. <laughs> yeah, like Encyclopedia Brown. Like I wanted to find out all the things and solve the mysteries of the world. Um, so I was a very smart child and I was in gifted classes and all that. And all around is very different, uh, very different than um, the kids who were my age. So you had an awareness of being different even at such a young age. Yeah, I, everyone was playing outside or playing with dolls and I was reading. I was reading. Reading was like my escape. I mean, we, um, my mom did everything that she knew to do and my grandma helped out, but we were poor. We lived in public housing. We didn't have access to, I mean, we didn't go out to eat. You know, we had um, government assistance. We got WIC, we got the government cheese and the powdered milk and all the stuff. Um, so we didn't have access and I didn't know anyone who had money or did anything interesting. Um, so books were really my place to go and my imagination was my outlet. Um, and then I started writing stories of my own and doing my own little books with the yarn and everything. Um, so everyone else would be out playing at recess and I'd be reading a book. And, uh, and it was a very, <laughs> a very clear um, moment for me when I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not a normal kid, uh, but I'm okay with that. And at the age of six, your father passed away. He was 25, only 25 when he passed. He was. Did that leave a, a mark on you? Did that shift your view on the world? Oh, of course. I think that um, because we didn't, I didn't know him that well and I was so young, um, it wasn't more of a, you know, I miss my dad kind of thing. It was more of, man, I wish I'd I could have learned from him. I wish I could have, um, you know, seen what, what he was all about. Um, the only thing that I knew about him was that people said he was very smart and I was like, okay, well, you know, I got that from him. Um, but as I got older, it was like, man, you know, what could he have done with his life? Um, what would he have turned out to be? So it was more like, uh, a regret that I didn't get to like grow up with him. 
Um, but, uh, it just made me realize that, you know, life is short and if you want your life to mean something, you've got to really work at it. And I've been working on that my entire life to make my life mean something to make it so that when I die, I don't, um, I don't have regrets of I should have done this or I should have done that. So it really gave me a sense of uh, mortality. I know that death is a thing and um, it made me go through my life, not taking it for granted and understanding that uh, you only get this one life and um, you have to be intentional about how you spend your time here. Just to fast forward a little bit on your timeline. So when you reached the age 25, I saw that you shared this experience of being in Hawaii and you said, I could be dead by now. And you were reflecting on the passing of your father. And it seemed like that, that was a huge turning point because up, up until then you had been checking your boxes, so to speak. Um, You said you were following the rules and you were getting the good job. You were working in a nonprofit uh, in DC you had you'd left you'd left Ohio, you'd gone to college, you'd gotten a good job, and it just wasn't enough. Talk to us about how you started to form your plan. Yeah, I think that's the moment. You know, um, I think we all get that moment, and I've talked to so many Black women of all ages and at all life stages, and what our stories have in common is that we all get to some moment, whether it's triggered by an experience or, or, um, you know, turning a certain age, you know, 25 is the age of the quarter life crisis, as they call it now, um, where you're reflecting on your life and evaluating what you've done so far and whether it is enough and whether it's what you want and whether you're happy and how you want to continue and move forward. And that was the year that I that I got that realization for myself, that I got that tap like, hey, you know, you're doing some cool stuff. You, you, got, a, you got a nice job. You're um, making some waves in your, in your career, getting some recognition. But is that what you really want? And are you doing it the way you want to do it? And um, it was interesting because my peers are like, you know, just keep climbing the ladder, right? Soon you'll be... Um, senior leadership, soon you'll be CEO and won't that be great? And I had to look within myself and I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how great that would be. You know, it just sounds like um, more work, more, um, more, um, you know, being, being stuck, being stuck in in a pattern, being stuck in um, a career when what I was craving was freedom. And when I thought about my father and I thought about what he could have done. I mean, he could have done anything. He could have been anything. He could have gone anywhere. Um, I asked myself, what do, what do I want my life to look like? I get to choose. So it doesn't make sense for me to live my life on autopilot. What do I want? And then I went on this journey of answering that question and I would journal. I, you know, created this uh, process for myself. I take these index cards and like write out every area of my life, and then you know decide what I wanted it to look like. So I would say for my lifestyle, what I want that to look like, and that's when I started um, 
writing out that I wanted to travel and I wanted to see the world. And um, I wanted to live life on my own terms. If you had to say, because the show is often just as much about our mothers and our grandmothers and everybody who contributed to who we are, for better or for worse, so to speak, um, if you had to say something that your grandma and your mother gave you, what would you say that is? Um, from my experiences being raised by a teen mom and being raised by my grandmother, especially in the first years of my life, I saw what, what life could be like if I followed that path. And I think what they always told me, my mom and my grandma, was that um, I, could, I could do anything. You know, like they encouraged me to do things differently than they did them. They encouraged me to experience things they had never experienced. And um, it was never a be like me, you know, um, that I think some, some people get into, some parents get into. It's like, uh, be like me, do like me, follow my footsteps. But for my mom, my grandma, they saw something different for me and they saw that I was different. Um, and so they tried their, their best to put me in situations and places and programs that would help me see what was possible. Um, so my mom put me in Girl Scouts. Um, she, my grandma fought for me to go to a different school and she would drive me to the bus stop in a different district so I could go there and, you know, um, just open my eyes to what I could be. And I think that them seeing that helped me to see that in myself too. Like, don't, don't do what we've done, you know, don't, don't, uh, repeat our mistakes, but go and be all that you can be. That's really wonderful to have that kind of advocacy in your life. A lot of people never get that, you know, mm -hmm. you seem like you would have been quite a fighter anyway. <laughs> I think so. I think I came out like that. <laughs> cause you, cause you said that you could see that bigger was possible even at such a younger age. And even though you didn't know what the possibilities were, you just knew like that wasn't it. And that's really big to have that foresight at such a young age. Yeah, I think that um, the feeling that a lot of us have growing up that we don't fit in um, can be um, misconstrued as something negative. And I think that when you look at anyone who's lived an extraordinary life, they all had that experience. Um, and so there were times when I'm like, the kids are teasing me, oh, you know, this is terrible. But as I got older, I'm like, um, I, I, get to, I get to experience a different life because I'm a different person. I'm a different type of person. I get to have, you know, the lifestyle that a lot of people may, you know, never even attempt to have because I'm different. And so I think that um, after a while, I saw it as something positive and not something negative because, now I can do whatever I want. I don't have, um, I don't have this need to fit in. I don't have this um, desire to do things like everyone else. And I think that that helped for me to say yes to a lot of things that I may not have said yes to otherwise. 
Even with that, it seems like the messaging from the world, from society at large and culture at large, often tells us that that's not, whatever way we're going is not the way we're supposed to be going, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering about when you came up against those challenges in that messaging. So you, you had some support, you have your internal, your internal strength, your internal, this lust for life, I guess you could say, this desire for the experience that is supposed to be yours Mm -hmm. and taking action towards that and stepping into that. But meeting that resistance from the world, how were you able to continue to push forward push past that in order to get to wherever you're trying to go? Yeah. Um, For me, I think that the biggest barrier, and I talk about this a lot with my clients and with my community, was myself. Although I I have a lot of internal strength, as we all do, um, when you don't see yourself represented in where you want to go. So I was like, well, maybe I should start my own business. Maybe I should you know, quit my job and start traveling the world because, you know, at my job, you only get so much vacation time and um, you start making decisions and you're an adult. So nobody can stop you physically. You know, we, we got passports, we can go wherever we want, but it's more like, well, I don't see that many people doing it. I don't see people who look like me doing this and be being successful or there's very few. So the decision you've got to make is, well, so what? <laughs> I want to do it, so I'm going to do it. And it's more of um, it's more of an inner game than like literally, you know, people saying, don't do this, don't do that. Um, and what I've always reminded myself of is, you know, the advice that people give you, advice, quote unquote, um, is often out of their own fear. And I look at people's lives. And the person that's giving me advice, do I want to live their life? Because as a result of the advice they're giving me, this is the life that they've turned up with and they've never left the country. So why would I listen to them? They've never had a successful business. Why would I listen to them? It doesn't make any sense. Um, And sometimes the only logical voice is your own because you're the only one who knows what's best for you. So the any barriers or doubts I had were really more inner, like, okay, are you really going to do this? You know, does this really make sense for you? Then, you know, other people saying, don't do that. Don't do that. I got some, you know, questions about, are you really going to go to Mexico by yourself? And, um, you know, all the different places that I've gone um, and all the things that I've done, are you really going to quit your job? You know, things like that. And at that moment, you know, I had to make the decision. If I'm going to do something that nobody I know has done, why would I listen to those people? I I love what you were saying about it being internal. Yes, like a lot of people are going to chirp, that's whatever. But I think that subconsciously, and that's where self-sabotage comes into, comes into play, is that sometimes that messaging is inside us hiding and directing some of our actions. And so, um, like I know some of your practices are journaling and You'll do reviews and previews. Um, 
you you use light therapy, I guess you could call it. <laughs> I saw where you say you like to wake up and like open <laughs> all the blinds and uh, curtains so that you could let some light in and play some good music and you just like get to work doing whatever it is you need to be doing for that day. Um, are there mm-hmm. any tips that you would mm-hmm. have for helping to root out though that messaging that may be lying dormant inside us, but still harmful because it's guiding some of our actions? Yeah. Inner, inner, um, your inner self-talk is really important and negative chatter that you allow to go on in your mind can obviously dictate your actions. The way that I see it is that it's all a distraction. It's all a distraction to keep you from living um, the most extraordinary life that you can. And what's always helped me is this sense of urgency. Um, Although I knew that, um, I would probably live past 25 uh, and, you know, live to be older than my father was when he died. It still did leave a mark on me where I was like, I want to make every year of my life count. So with a sense of urgency and looking, I look at every decision in my life based on that, you know, do I want this to be the story of my life? Do I want to regret, you know? And so I've been able to make a lot of decisions more quickly and more courageously when I think of that. Am I still like shaking in my boots for some things? Yes. But the alternative of not doing it um, to me is like a death, denying myself the experience and always wondering, well, what if I would have done that? Or what if I would have done this? Life is really a gift. It, it's a privilege. And um, it's kind of like when those doubts come up, I have to remind myself that uh, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be here forever. You're not going to be here forever. At some point, our physical body is 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 going to be gone, and you won't have the opportunity to even make the decision to do it. And so, I do it, whether I'm afraid or not, because I'm more afraid of how I'll feel having denied myself the opportunity. You don't talk a lot about like yourself and the things that you go through in order to be who you are. And I'm wondering if that's by design. A lot of your messaging is focused on how you can help your ideal client, how you can help black women or women to now reach those six figures, at least $100,000 after expenses in their businesses. So I'm, I'm wondering like about your personal journey. Um, I saw one video that you did where you mentioned after you first started your business, after you left the nonprofit world, how the first year was super rough, which is, of course, <laughs> like generally speaking, they are, right? Um, yeah. But you were saying depression kind of hit you. There were days where the dishes were in the sink and you didn't want to shower and you were just having a really tough time working through the, the emotions, the saying yes to yourself, the putting yourself out there, the creating your offers, the selling that needs to be done in order to have a business. 
Um, and it seems like you still do have those days, but you, I mean, not those specific kind of days, but you don't really talk about that at all. And I'm wondering if that's on purpose. Um, yes and no. So I'll say that I think for me and for most of my clients, the first year, <laughs> the first couple of years for some people is really tough. Um, but when you stick with it and you kind of push through that, I don't know if we call it like a, like a <laughs> initiation, <laughs> a business initiation, and you see that, okay, if I do these things, if I keep doing these things, we're going to keep working. Um, you don't keep repeating the same year. You don't keep repeating the same, you know, you don't keep having the same doubts. You don't keep having the same because now you've got evidence that it works and you keep setting goals and you keep working towards them. And so, you know, I haven't had a year that was as bad as that first year. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, horrible. It was tough. I mean, you know, there's so many cool things about it, but there there were a, were a lot of inner battles with my mind. Of, can I really do this? Um, how could you be so, you know, how could you, you know, be so naive to think that your clients are going to stay with you forever? You've got to keep marketing yourself. Didn't, how come you didn't know that? Um, but once you know it, you know it, you know, and, and you keep moving forward. And I think sometimes as Black women entrepreneurs, we keep inventing problems and we keep inventing issues to sabotage ourselves from being successful. It's like, girl, you know it, just keep doing it. And I have clients like that all the time. Um, and sometimes I have to remind myself too, like, you know what works, keep doing what works and keep making money and achieve your goals. And what um, unfortunately some of us do is um, we, don't, um, we don't allow ourselves to have what we want. We think we're not worthy. We think somehow it's going to get taken away. We think all our family is going to start asking for loans or whatever. And so we subconsciously push money away. Um, and so we create problems. Oh, well, I'm, there's no way I could do video, so I can't market my business. And so I'm going to just take a social media break for three months and not get any clients. Um, but what has kept me moving forward is reminding myself that I know how to do this. Just keep doing what works. Um, there's no need to invent problems where there's no problems. And most of the problems that people come to me with are not actually problems. They're, um, they are barriers that we've set up for ourselves so that there's no possible way we can be as successful as we know we can be. It's scary to think of, you know, making, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, five hundred thousand, a million dollars when maybe you're the first person in your family to be that successful on your own without having to, you know, find a rich man, <laughs> without, you know, without, um, without having to depend on someone else. So like be a self-made, financially successful Black woman is still revolutionary in this country. And so, um, if there's anything that, that I focus on is reminding myself that I have everything that I need inside of me for every new goal that I set, for every new goal that I set. And it's the same power that we all have if we would just stop making up these, you know, imaginary things. Like if you did it once, you can do it again, right? I want to backtrack just a little bit. You talked about representation and that being part of your dialogue with yourself. How can I do this? 
I don't see black women like me doing this. Um, you know, this year has been popping <laughs> and largely like you've just stayed on message. It's like, this is the time for you to show up. People need to hear you. They need to hear your voice. They need to see your offers just because there's a pandemic. It doesn't mean that you cannot be in business right now. Um, and right. But when it comes to the racism aspect, uh, Sister Rosetta went off. <laughs> so it's just one post. You got, you got it, you got it off your chest. From what I saw, it's just one post. Right. You got it off your chest. You said what you needed to say. Um, and that post, uh, it says, if I have to tell you or shame you into, into supporting your black sisters and brothers who are following and paying you, then you were never really a quote unquote ally in the first place. White people have the same social media access that we do. White people have access to the same Google that we do. White people have the same access to books and resources that we do. If white people wanted to educate themselves on race and anti-racism and why black people feel the way we do, they would. So no, I'm not going to try to explain my pain to them or make them a curated reading list or tag amazing entrepreneurs of color that they should be aware of. White people have their own work to do and we have ours. And part of our work is to choose to invest our money only with the influencers and entrepreneurs who are aligned with our values, not just because they are popular or successful or call us sis in their posts, but because when we work with these people, we know that they truly care. Come on. Yep. <laughs> and that's that you on that. that. Okay. <laughs> that's that on that. Um, Point blank, period. 2020 has been a wild ride. And I think that um, so many, so many black women entrepreneurs who work online and want to do this work while traveling, a lot of the representation has been, well, when I started, um, it was white men. And I would follow Tim Ferriss and we've all read the four hour work week and it inspired me, you know, white man or not. I'm like, if he can do it, I can do it. He don't, he's not no more special than me. You know, my, my grandfather always taught me that, you know, nobody is better than you. Everybody has to, you know, put the pants in on one leg at a time and all that. Right. So I got a lot of good. Um, I got a, a lot of good wisdom from my grandparents uh, growing up, but um I saw a lot of white men with their laptops on the beach and um, I was able to, you know, take some trips and travel with them. One of my, um, my best experiences was traveling to Thailand with a group of uh, location independent entrepreneurs. And I was one of, it was like 20 of us at least. And I was one of three women uh, and I was only black woman. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I want to learn from these people. Like they, they know what's up. I need to learn from them. Um, and so I never really, I never really saw until, you know, a few years ago, more black women um, travel platforms started coming up and, and all of that, which was amazing. Um, but even before black women, it was white women. Then I started seeing more white women online and having brands around traveling the world and working from your laptop and all that. So um it's not like there are a lot of popular, like like million followers, uh, someone who has have, having a million followers who are like influencers in um, having an online business and traveling. Um, 
black the the black women community is still quite small compared to the communities of white men and white women that have been going on for a very long time. And so what 2020 has shown after George Floyd and um, everyone realizing like, hey, these influencers I've been following, they actually never, never feature black people. They actually never center us. They actually never even talk to us, um, except when they're trying to do a launch. Do they even care? And so the situation had a lot of us black women questioning our mentors, our coaches. I know I did. And, you know, this goes back to 2016 with, uh, you know, when I realized that a lot of my mentors, quote unquote, um, were Trump supporters. And I'm like, I've been working with you for all this time and you've been teaching me how to build my email list and, and, and make sales and everything. You take you take, you know, what was useful and you throw out the rest. And I stopped following a lot of people. I stopped investing with a lot of people. Um, and I cut some more people off my list this year, too. And what I what I want for us and what that post was about, just really stating it how it is, just because someone is popular, just because you see a white woman on the beach and she can teach you how to you know, make sales. There's black women who do the same thing. We just may not be as visible and popular and we haven't been featured, you know, by 90 million places and we're not, you know, blonde and young and, and you know, all those things. But there we are out there and. I think that it was a good opportunity for us to reevaluate, you know, who does um, align with our values. Just because we're all out here trying to make money and travel doesn't mean that we're all on the same page and that we all believe the same things. And that was me being naive coming into this. I quit my job when I was 27. Uh, I thought everybody was, <laughs> you know, everybody like in the nonprofit world where I come from, everyone's working together. And it's just not the case, you know, here. And so I think that it has been a great opportunity and a lot of great conversations have been happening about you have you have a choice of who you learn from, who you listen to, and who you're influenced by. It seems like some of your journey, maybe at the very beginning, was a bit accidental, so to speak. You're in college, you're doing grant proposals, then you get a job with a nonprofit, and you start using your vacation time to speak. So you started a blog and you start writing about it and you get invited to speak at these conferences, nonprofit conferences. And then somebody was like, hey girl, you coach? And he was like, coach, talk to me more about this. How much should I charge you? Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you just started to become more intentional around it, it seems like. Yeah. Um, my, my thing has always been, you know, keep saying yes to the opportunities that have shown up for me. And so I always have said that I'm an accidental entrepreneur because I was, you know, working in nonprofits. And as I was exploring more of what was going to make me happy and what I wanted to do, it kept leading me towards this, like, I want to write, I want to speak, I want to, I want to teach. Um, and the most natural place to go from my job was speaking about nonprofit leadership, like what I had expertise and experience on. And that led to me starting a consulting business and two years later quitting my job. And uh, that was in 2010. And I've been self-employed ever since. Um, I always said that uh, as long as opportunities keep showing up, I'm going to keep taking them. 
And now I can imagine, you know, ever having a job again. And that brand went strong. So you introduced yourself as the happy black woman. That's the name of your business, but you've recently rebranded to Rosetta Thurman recently. What was it like December? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the podcast was this year mm-hmm. that you did that rebrand. So before happy black woman was focused on more personal development, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it still is. I mean, we still have stuff up for that. I think that part of the journey and what I want to share with the ladies listening to is that part of the journey of building a business and being an entrepreneur online is that you get to choose and you get to decide what lights you up and what doesn't. And, and maybe you started out talking about one thing and you want to change it. And um, it's difficult to give yourself permission to kind of step out and do something else. It's kind of like leaving a job <laughs> in some ways. Like some people, they started out talking about maybe travel and then they want to start talking about relationships or whatever. Um, you are the brand, right? And so I, um, after I quit my job, I started a blog called um, Happy Black Woman and it blew up. <laughs> it became a business on its own. And um, I did personal development workshops and coaching. And then people started asking me about business and I found a new passion with business. And so that's what I focus on mostly today. Um, but I still love to talk about the personal development part. So you're seeing like, um, me figuring it out. Like, how do I, how do I have both brands and how do I talk about both things? And the truth is we're all making it up. You can do whatever you want. My motto is you can do whatever you want with your life and no one can stop you, but you. And um, especially when it comes to online entrepreneurship, you can have 10 websites if you want to, I don't recommend it, but (laughs) you can do whatever you want um, with your brand because you are the brand. And so, um, I know that as you keep moving forward, you keep taking those steps and you keep taking the opportunities and following what lights you up, um, you'll be guided into some really cool places. And so my excitement around teaching online entrepreneurship to Black women is freedom. It's about creating the ability to make choices that are aligned with who you are without having to say, well, I can't do this because I might lose my job or I can't do this because, you know, I got bills to pay. Well, let's create an empire for you where you can pay your bills and do what you want. That's, that's freedom. Um, my grandfather uh, was a big, loud <laughs> um, black man who, who had been in the, in the, in the army and I always thought he was just like this. He had no fears. He's a fearless man. He would um, he would tell me, you know, when I would be worried about something, like when I was in college, I'm worrying about like passing a test or something. He would say, Rosetta, you know, that's a bunch of BS. You know, he loved to cuss. Um, I'm not going to cuss on your podcast, but um, that's a bunch of BS. Uh, you can do whatever you want to do. You, can, you know, he was, he was very, um, he was very encouraging. Um, And so I carry that with me and like freedom is being able to travel for sure. But there's another level of freedom that comes when we're able to travel whenever we want, go wherever we want, whenever we want, because we're our own boss. That's a different level of freedom that 
really set me free. Um, and I love helping other Black women do the same thing. That's so powerful. I love that. And I love your grandpa. <laughs> His voice lives on. <laughs> In my mind. <laughs> Come on. I love that. But I mean, like you, it seemed like you had already prioritized travel, like even within the States, you know, you had your five weeks of vacation or what have you, Mm -hmm. uh, working your nonprofit and you were using that to to go to these different places and take up these opportunities. So that's really cool. Yeah. I think that, um, especially when we're traveling a lot of times, like I've had, I had a lot of friends in DC who, they prioritize travel and they got a certain amount of time they had, you know, well-paying government jobs or nonprofit jobs or politics jobs. Um, and, but that was it. Uh, and my thing was, well, if I am going to be going places, let me use that as an opportunity to build my business. Um, and so I'd meet with people in different cities. I would, you know, make connections, um, and uh, and really turn those into opportunities for later on, right? For for me to be able to leverage them when I, you know, quit my job and everything. And so I think that a lot of times, you know, if you don't have that vision, you don't think about it. But, you know, for the woman who is, you know, listening and she's got her nine to five and she wants to leave it, but she savors those two, three weeks um, that she gets to travel, like make it count, make the time off count, um, and actually leverage it, take some of that time and actually sit down and network with people or, you know, build out your website or, um, you know, set up your services, um, meet with someone who might want you to come and speak or do a workshop or, um, you know, sit down and and create your online course, like whatever it is, like uh, vacation time to me is like, yeah, some of the time is for me to relax, but some of the time is for me to use to build something so I can always relax whenever I want to. But do you actually like relax? Like, <laughs> I know that you have built out a lot of things over mm-hmm. the last 10 years, even before that you were building. Mm-hmm. But it seems like you put in hours I do. Um, and I will say that it's a, I think it's a misconception that when you run um, a business full time uh, that, you know, it's, it's a lot of work and it is a lot of work, but it's not hard, <laughs> you know, like um, I, it's, it's work, but you get to choose it. Right. So I have a lot of time off. I have a lot of time where I'm not working. But what I'm when I'm online, you see me working and selling and creating content, right? Um, but I can do whatever I want on the weekends. You know, we we do whatever we want. I can work if I want to. I don't have to work. I can go and leave and take trips, and I do whatever I want. Work is always going to be a part of my life because I love it. I love creating content. I love creating courses. I'm sleeping two in the morning, an idea wakes me up and I just like go in and, you know, write it out and maybe create a sales page for it. Um, But it's not like, oh, I'm like running on a hamster wheel and I'm so busy and I'm so like, it's all a choice. It's all a choice. Um, 
Absolutely. But that not sleeping through the night, like I've been there. <laughs> when I get an idea, I let it take a hold of me because sometimes those are the ideas that have the most impact and make me the most money. Yeah. I didn't mean like business busyness for the sake of being busy. Like I saw your post on that. Like, hey, if you're busy and ain't making money, then that's an expensive hobby. This more like your essence, your spirit is infused in absolutely everything you touch. Mm-hmm. And if you do outsource anything, it's hard to tell because it feels like you. And so it just seems like you show up a lot. And while it's dope, like that can, I don't know, it can be taxing to have so much of yourself poured out, I guess you could say, or maybe you don't feel that way at all. I don't feel that way whatsoever. I know Mm -hmm. that it really is based on your personality. And that's the cool thing about online entrepreneurship is I choose to have me be in my business because that's what what will make me happy. I've had so many mentors and I've been in so many masterminds and groups and things. And some people, they just want to be the CEO and they want to delegate out everything. And then I'm like, well, that wouldn't be fun because I want to, I want to write stuff. I want to create, I'm a writer. I'm a creator. I, I want to be in it. Like, I don't want to, like I said, I was an accidental entrepreneur and I started from speaking and helping people. I didn't start by, okay, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to be the CEO and I'm going to have all this team. I learned, I don't want a a big team. I don't want to be managing a bunch of people. I don't, uh, I don't want to, um, outsource my voice. Doesn't feel good to me. Not going to do it. Um, I love writing. I love creating. I love seeing my ideas come to life. It lights me up. It, it, it's so joyful for me. But if you're not like that and you're like, oh, I, I have to do it this way, you don't. You can do it whatever way you want. And for a while, I've, I felt like pressure, like, oh, to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to have this big team. Everybody's like, build a team, build a team. If I have to have meetings all week and I don't get to write and I don't get to create, I'm miserable. So I just decided not to do it that way. And that's also part of why you switched focus in your business is because you said the woman that you were when you created Happy Black Woman is not the woman you are today. Like you like you were telling us earlier, you don't have the same year. And so there's this focus now on six figures. Um, so that is a woman making $100,000 after expenses, $100,000 she's able to pay herself after she's taken care of everything else in her business. Um, So why is that the magic number? It's not a magic number, but I do think it's a good first milestone to have. Um, It gives you something to work towards. And I say that because I've been coaching women for so many years. And one of the first questions I ask my clients is, how much money do you want to make in your business? And usually I get, well, I don't know. I mean, I I could, you know, survive off of, 30,000 or, you know, I only need this much money to pay my bills. And I'm like, that's not what I'm asking you. I'm asking how much money do you want to make so that you can pay for all the things that you want. So we do goal setting and we look at, you know, what do you want to do in your life? Because most of that stuff costs money. Um, And then build a business around that. And what I've learned is that I've never met a woman with desires that cost less than a hundred grand a year. (laughs) I've never, when you really dig into the desires, 
of a black woman when she stops denying herself and you know stops um, being in survival mode. And it's like you're building a business that's a choice. So if you were to choose, you would choose to do more than survive. So what would it look like for you to thrive in your life and be able to travel to the places that you want to go? And not just travel, but travel in the style. When I first started traveling, I was staying in hostels. That got old real quick. And I was like, well, I need to make more money so I can stay in at least a four-star hotel. That's my standard. Um, And then first time I flew first class, I'm like, I can't go back to economy. I want to keep flying first class. <laughs> you know, I, I will never forget my first, um, and it actually wasn't first class, it was business class. It was a business class trip I took um, to Argentina in 2015. And I had accumulated my miles, you know, for my business. I have a business credit card and you get miles. So I put all my business, business expenses on that card and you get miles. And so I had enough to do a business class trip. And you had the live flat seats. You had the good food. I'm like, I'm never going back there again. I don't care about the cheap tickets. It's about the experience. And so I'm like, well, you got to make a certain amount of money to have that lifestyle. But if I want it, I can get it. And so $100,000 is not a magic number, but it's a good place to start and to shoot for so that you're not under um, earning And so what I find is that when women get to that six-figure mark, I have several clients right now who are making, you know, $10,000, $20,000 cash a month. And they're like, well, if I did that, what else could I do? And that opens up, you know, another goal. Well, you know, I could buy a a different type of house with more money. And and so it starts opening up um, these these levels um, where you can access the experiences that you want to access that cost more money. And so it's exciting for me to work with women who dream big as well. Do you think it's a cultural thing to us not saying yes to ourselves more? It's cultural. It's, um, societal. It's, uh, you know, something that's passed down from generations, the beliefs and thoughts. I mean, it's, um, you really have to have a strong mind, I will say, to maintain your autonomy um, if you have a family that whenever you go back home, it's like, you know, there she goes again, you know, and, and you kind of get beat down um, and you got to have like a strong mind around that. And so I always recommend personal development, um, you know, focusing on reprogramming your thoughts if that's been a challenge you know um seeing yourself differently getting yourself around different types of people you know joining groups like yours um where they can be around people who think differently who you know maybe other people say that they're a little crazy um because it is so deeply ingrained but because I've done so much personal development and goal setting and acceptance of myself. And I always had this, you know, acceptance that I was different and that's okay. I don't, for me, it's weird and strange to um, be in conversations that are limiting. It's like, I start itching. It just doesn't feel good. I'm like, what is going on here? Like y'all, y'all talking about, you can't, you can't, go somewhere because you don't have, you know, the money for the plane ticket. Like I get it. Everyone is not, you know, doesn't have the means, but if I'm in a group of entrepreneurs and we're saying that there's a problem, 
there's a big problem because there's no cap on what we can earn. There's no cap. There's no limit besides the limits that we put on ourselves. And that, you know, might sound a little cliche, but it's completely true. So um, for the for the women who want to live a different life, you've got to do different things and it's got to become a different lifestyle for you. And in fact, what I teach my clients is that it's a new identity that you step into. You're in a different identity than you've been in the past. And that, you know, can take some time. It can take some work and everyone's different. And every woman's journey is going to be different. You can't say, well, she did it in this amount of time. I should be there. Well, no, maybe not. Maybe, you know, you got to you got to work a little bit. Um, on, more on, on certain things because we don't all have the same upbringing. We don't have the same, um, you know, we don't have the same mindset. We don't have the same challenges, right? So we have to be gentle with ourselves and just know that the goal is for you to be happy at the end of the day. And if you're not, you have the power to change that at any time. Talk to us about when you started to travel more. So you have your happy black woman brand and you're wanting to see the world. Like you said, when did you make that decision? Where did you go? So I quit my job in 2010 and, you know, I was trying to get all my stuff together, make sure I had my money. Right. And then 2011, um, I got an opportunity to speak in Hawaii and, um, me and one of my colleagues, we had co-authored a book, a nonprofit book, and they invited us out to speak in Hawaii. And, you know, I'm still getting used to like this full-time entrepreneurship thing. And I'm like, oh man, I want to stay longer. And then I thought to myself, well, you can, (laughs) you don't have to just go for the week of the conference. You can. So I decided to stay a month. Um, And uh, it just really um, reiterated the fact that I'm free now. I had a, I had a mentor, um, back then that, uh, when I quit my job, he was very uh, pro-black, very much like, you know, he had, he'd been in all a part of all the, um, civil rights movements. And he was like, you know what you are now? And I said, what do you mean? What am I now? He said, use a free Negro now. <laughs> and I said, I guess I am. I guess I am a free Negro. Um, when you said all the civil rights movement i didn't know like literally all of them he was older so you know he had been a part of a lot of things i you know i didn't even i didn't even know about so he he was very much um pro-black and he was very happy for me you know quitting my job um but the concept of being free didn't really dawn on me until i was like i can i can this is the dream of entrepreneurship. We're supposed to be able to have all this freedom, but so many of us, we still sit behind the computer because we're so worried about getting the next client or whatever. We think that the success is going to be taken away. I'm like, I can stay here for a month. And I realize this is what I, I want more of this. I want more of this. And sometimes you have to kind of experience it for you to see that it's possible. And that motivated me so much. I'm like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to grind. I'm going to go back to DC. I'm going to grind and I'm going to make this happen. So every year after that, I, I um, had the goal of doing a big trip. That was at least a month or more. So um, 2012, I went to um, Europe and I did Greece, Italy, and Spain for a month. And again, just incredible. Um, and uh, 
2013, I went to Thailand for a month. <laughs> um, so I kept having these experiences and I was still consulting though. I had a long-term consulting client and I was kind of upset. <laughs> I started getting kind of upset that I had to go back um, because I had to, I did still have meetings. Um, so every month we had a meeting. I'm like, man, if I didn't have this meeting, I could stay here for two months. So you start setting new goals, right? And so I'm like, well, I think I'm going to stop doing this and I'm just going to go completely online. And so um, 2013, I took my business completely online and I stopped doing in-person stuff um, that would require me to not be able to travel for months at a time. And so in 2014, I went to Mexico for like two months, two, three months. Um, and so I just, you know, started making lists of places every year that I wanted to go to. And that's been a month here and, you know, a month in Argentina, a month in Bali, or, you know, a couple weeks in Bali, a um, month in Hawaii. And then, um, you know, I just, I just really made sure that I was um, achieving the goals I set out for myself through entrepreneurship. So speaking to like your personality and your travel style, you had a, I forget what they're called, um, a stylist pick out some clothes for you to be able to travel with. Cause even with that, you were traveling light. Like, I think you only traveled out of one bag at the time, right? Oh yeah. I had given up my apartment in DC. I started traveling with one suitcase and it was so much easier. Oh my gosh. I didn't have anything in storage. I just got rid of everything and I'm like, I'm just going to start traveling. I was really, I didn't really have an address for, um, I don't know, four years, three, four, three years, three, four years. Um, and I just went from place to place and I did have a stylist, like, you know, pick me out some clothes that could fit into a suitcase so I could, you know, look decent while I was traveling and I would still, you know, be hosting events, um, in different places. Um, I started hosting retreats, business retreats for women who wanted to be location independent. And that lit me up so much. I just wanted to show women what I did. Like you said, you know, do you ever relax? What kind of work do you do? People are always surprised by how simple the process of making money online is. Like I'm not slaving away for three days on a sales page. <laughs> like I'm not, it's not hard work. It's work, but it's not difficult. So I, you know, bring everybody to Hawaii, bring everybody to, um, to Morocco, bring everybody to, um, to Mexico. And we're sitting in this beautiful hotel or this beautiful villa, got our laptops. I'm literally showing them what I do to make money and it blows their mind. <laughs> it blows their mind. And so I, I have really enjoyed being able to take my clients along with me on my travels as well. When you do travel, is there a certain way you like to explore? Um, it depends on where I am. Like I, I'm more of a, I don't know if there's a name for it, but like spontaneous, like there's some places where you need to book things in advance, right? Like I learned my lesson trying to um, have high tea at the the Ritz in London. Like you got to book that thing out <laughs> months in advance, um, you know. So, but um, I like to wander. I like to find things. I like to go out, you know, to like an area where it's kind of funky. Like they've got some cute shops and and restaurants and things like that. Like I love Barcelona. Um, they have 
it's it's a one it's a it's really cool for wandering you know down one street is you've got this topless place and then you've got a cool club and i love that i love wandering and finding things um it just it just adds something to the trip for me uh, versus like having everything planned out and mapped out i don't like that type of travel i will take some tours um, especially if I'm traveling alone and I want some um, human interaction. I am a huge introvert, um, which uh, I think helps, you know, working online, working from home when you don't have any coworkers and everything. Um, but if I want like, you know, some people to hang out with, I might do a tour or I might join like a travel um, group for something. But for the most part, I love to wander. I love to find things. It's like this um, exploration, this, uh, I don't know, this this curiosity, I guess, that has always been in me since I was little. I like to find things and um, it really adds to the experience for me. Has traveling as a Black woman impacted your experience? Um, yeah, I mean, there have been a lot of, uh, in terms of like the way that people perceive you in different places, I think um, has been interesting to see. Um, you know, you go to uh, Mexico and um, I chose to go for my first trip to Mexico where I stayed um, for a couple months. I chose to go to a few different places. And one of them was um, San Miguel de Allende. So I went to like Cancun for the touristy vibes and San Miguel for like the expat, you know, more vibes or, you know, mostly people speak Spanish. So I had to, I had to speak it. I had to be in the immersed in the culture. Um and so there, it was like people were, they loved seeing my Afro and they wanted to touch it. They want to talk to me. And it's like this beautiful thing. Um, and then when I went to uh, Santorini, I've been to Santorini a couple of times, but the first time I went, um, I got detained. <laughs> um, and I didn't realize what was happening at the time, but after I was able to process it and talk to some people, I think that they thought, they didn't know I was black American. I think they thought I was African and trying to smuggle something in <laughs> to Greece. It was the weirdest thing ever. Um, and it all came down to my Afro. So they didn't believe I was who I was. They thought I had a fake passport because on my passport, my hair looked different and I was running around with a, a afro <laughs> and i had been laying on the beach and i was darker so it all came down to that i had a scarf on when they were interrogating me and i finally the light bulb went off in the um, questioning room and i was like and i wrote about this on my blog back then it was like the craziest experience i was like oh i i get it it doesn't look like me because i have a scarf on. do you want me to take the scarf off of my head so you can see my hair and they're like yes 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 i took the scarf off and they're like okay you can go <laughs> like, what is this literally what just happened um so different experiences um traveling to different places um and then being in morocco uh needing to have uh, an escort a male ex escort everywhere um because i was alone um in a muslim country that was very interesting. Morocco was beautiful. I would totally go again. Um, but just being a woman, like there uh, at night, not being able to do things that I would normally do. Um, I had an escort from the hotel, you know, take me around to places and even, you know, going through the markets. And 
you know, hey, mama, and, you know, hey, chocolate mama, hey, sister, you know, and, you know, people that you don't want to be alone in an alley with, you know? So um, different experiences have taught me a lot of different things that uh, I wouldn't trade for anything, you know? I wouldn't say that there are any places that I would not go back to again because there's still more to see, but um, I would definitely be, you know, more cautious in certain places. Do you have any hobbies or interests that aren't about money? Besides travel? (laughs) (laughs) That was probably my biggest. I always tell people that um, besides after paying, you know, my bills and everything, like the thing I spend the most money on is traveling. Um, It's uh, going to different places and and I love food. I'm a foodie. I love cooking. That's, you know, probably my biggest hobby. I love cooking. I have so many cookbooks. Um, I will go and buy $100 worth of food to make one meal (laughs) um, because I love the creative process of it. At one point in high school, I wanted to go to culinary school because I loved it so much. Um, And I still, you know, cook a lot. Um, But when I travel, food is like the top thing. Like, let me go to the best restaurants. Let me drink the best wine and try the local liquors and go on the foodie, um, the foodie, uh, all the foodie places. And in um, one of my recent trips to Paris, I did a foodie tour there. I will never forget it. It was like the best ever. So um, that that is what I spend most of my money on. Traveling and cooking new new foods, new meals. That's what I love. A lot of the ladies are thinking about relationships. Have has having a relationship ever been a concern for you as a traveler, as a an empowered black woman business owner? It hasn't been an issue for me. It has been an issue for some of my partners in the past. <laughs> the first, the trip, I, <laughs> yes, the trip I told you about from 2012 when I went to Europe for a month, I had a boyfriend at that time. And I'm like, yeah, honey, I'm going to go and going to be a great time. And it was still kind of a new relationship. We've been dating for a few months. And um, he just freaked out. He was emailing me every day talking about how much he missed me. And I'm like, dude, you're like bringing my vibe down. I'm having fun. <laughs> I'm not sitting here missing you. I just had tapas in Barcelona. What are you talking about? <laughs> so uh, that didn't last, right? Um, <laughs> and so it taught me a lot about the type of partner that I need based on the type of woman I am. And I knew that I would never have a traditional relationship. I'm very independent. I'm very, I'm very much self-contained. Um, but I wanted a man. I want companionship. I want someone to live this life with, to do this life with. And so I feel like it was such a divine, um, a divine opportunity for me to move to Hawaii. So 2013. The year I took my business fully online, I decided to move to Hawaii for a while. And um, two years later, I met my part, my current partner. We've been together five years. And um, he's in the military. And I'm like, this is perfect. He, he gets it. He has to go. Yeah, the military sends you places all the time. And I've, we've moved like four times since we've been together because of the military. And um, 
it wasn't on my list to date a man from the military, but I had certain criteria. And one of them is, um, well, I'll tell you all of them because they all matter. So I wrote down when I was wanting to manifest a partner back in 2015, I wrote down that I wanted to attract someone who was fun, romantic, adventurous, and supportive. So it couldn't be somebody that was like, come back home from Spain. I miss you so much, baby. Uh, it had to be someone who was going to be supportive, supportive of me and also adventurous on their own so we could travel together. You know, I couldn't have some, a homebody. That wouldn't work. So I made the intention that I would attract someone like that, and I did. And he's all of those things. And it just helps that he has a job that requires him to go um, different places too. And so when he's gone, I'm gone. I travel on my own. Um, and it just works out really well. So I think that um, a lot of women do feel like they're the lifestyle they want wouldn't be conducive to a relationship. And my philosophy and viewpoint is you can have whatever kind of relationship you want when you find that partner that wants the same things. And there's 7 billion people in the world, right? Like there's somebody out there for you who will align with the lifestyle you want to live. You got to be open to it though. I saw something funny on Twitter the other day. Um, they were like, there's 7 billion people in the world and you're crying over one. And the person like quote tweeted it and was like, yeah, but I don't know them. <laughs> like, I don't know the other 7 billion. I just know this one. So yes, I'm crying over this one. Yeah. And when I say being open, I mean that, you know, for women who travel, I mean, we're not limited to the United States, right? I mean, there's men all over. I've met incredible men all over the world. And, um, Ooh, maybe that could be your next venture, Rosetta Matchmaking. I would not (laughs) want to do that. People have asked me to do it. It's just not something I'm passionate about. People ask you to do a lot of stuff. They do. Um, People want to be, they want the whole brand, Happy Black Woman, attracts, you know, men who are like, well, can you hook me up with one of your happy black women? I'm like, not the angry ones, we want the happy ones. So what I, right. But what I tell my women is that, you know, these men are out there, but they want, you got to be open. You can't, you can't, you know, wait for people to come to you. They, everyone wants someone that wants them. So you got to show yourself, you know, available. Right. So there's beautiful men, beautiful, you know, women, you know, it's, there's so many experiences that you can have, um, based on what you want. And so I'm always telling people like, write down what you want, get clear on what you want, and then invite the universe to to give it to you. You know, go to places where you will find these people that you want you that you want to to be with. Get on Tinder. You know, I met my boo on Tinder. No, you um, did not. I did. I did. I did. And I put what I wanted in my profile. Like so many women are still like trying to play this role of being a traditional woman. And if you're a digital nomad who's traveling the world, you ain't traditional. You need to tell people that up front. So I, I tell people the truth. All of my partners have known from the beginning, like my lifestyle, I put it in my dating profile. And it's like, if this is you know, something that you can roll with, then contact me. So I never had terrible experiences dating because I'm like, if I'm up front, I'm going to attract people who, you know, get what, what's going on. We might not be compatible, but um, 
you get more of what you're looking for. Listen, you have a whole course on an Instagram bio. I can't imagine what your Tinder bio was looking like. You must have a <laughs> screenshot. Can we please see it? <laughs> I will put that in the show notes. I wish I had screenshotted it, um, actually, because I get so many questions about it. But my thing is just tell the truth. Tell the truth about who you are and what you want. And that just works for so many things in life. Tell the truth about who you are and what you want. Because if you pretend to be normal and then they found out that you're not, now you're, you know, you have you have a problem. But if you tell them, like, look, I love to travel and uh, sometimes I'm going to be, and I put stuff like this in my profile, like sometimes I'm going to be in Europe for three weeks and I need somebody who is cool with that. There's that lady that, a Jewish lady that did a TED talk on optimizing her profile to like find her perfect Jewish prince. So like I could see that being your next step, optimizing your your dating profile. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, that's hilarious. Uh, Yeah. Rosetta, will you please share with us your self-care practices? Self-care. Self-care is very simple for me. I do what makes me feel good at any given moment. I do what makes me feel good. So I'm not one of those people that needs like days off, like long, like people, like there's some people who could literally take off a week or two and do nothing. I am not that person. I tried. (laughs) I'm just not that person. So um, I have, I have moments of self-care every day where I'm just like, I have my morning routine in the morning. I do things that really make me feel good about the day, whatever is happening that day. So I love my journaling. It's just like me spending time with myself before pouring myself out to other people, helping them, which I also love, but I got to, you know, fill myself up first. So having that journaling time, um, most days, you know, I do that having my, my water, my coffee going on my walk. It's like, it's like, for me, it's also spiritual, because I I feel that my work is a calling, it's a purpose in whatever way I choose to do it, whether it's helping women with personal development or business or maybe relationships in the future, I don't know. Um, but I was put here to help other people. So I have got to feel at my best and I feel good to do that. So I feel like it's a spiritual connection that I, that I do in the mornings when I do my journaling and um, sometimes I, I do yoga or meditate and the goal is just to feel good, to feel good, to feel gratitude. I do a, a gratitude list of 10 things I'm grateful for every day. And it just really reminds me that this life is a gift. It's been given to me and I get to do whatever I want with it and leave a mark on the world as well. So you've been doing this practice for at least the last 10 years. Has it changed in variation, like your style of yoga or the type of meditation you do or the type of journaling that you do? Oh, yeah, all the time. I mean, every year I discover something new, right? I mean, there's apps now, you know, there's there's guided meditations you can, you know, download. So when I'm traveling and everything, I don't have all my stuff because um, now I have stuff. <laughs> um, right. Yeah, I don't have, you know, all my stuff with me. Um, it's a different thing, right? So I try to still, you know, do a walk, find a coffee shop. Coffee shops are so nostalgic for me because I built my business from so many of them. So I love a coffee shop. I love finding that. Um, so when I'm traveling, it's a different thing. It's like, what's going to make me feel good today and this morning? 
Um, and usually it's, it's the same types of things, but it's not the same thing. You know, like some people are like, I can't, I can't stick to a morning routine. You know, I don't, I can't, you know, stick to doing yoga every day. Well, you don't have to. It's about what's going to make you feel good today. So sometimes I, I'll spend an hour journaling because I need to. I got to, you know, I don't, I don't wake up feeling, you know, 100% every day. Nobody does. So um, it's not always going to be the same thing that you're going to be doing every day or the same type of thing. You know, for a year, I like meditated almost every day. And now I don't do it as much. I do different things that make me feel good. Or you might discover different practices. Um, you might read different types of books, right? So um, sometimes the books I read are more spiritual. Sometimes um, it's more of a devotional or a day book that gives you a message every day or something. Sometimes I just read more poetry and that um, inspires me. So it doesn't have to be the same thing all the time. Um, that would make you kind of a robot, right? Um, I would just say, be open to doing what's going to inspire you for that day and and take it and and do something good with it. Is there anything in particular that helps to keep you grounded? My family. <laughs> my family. Um, my sister, we're very close. We didn't used to be, but as we got older, man, she's like, she's like my bestie now. Um, so conversations with with her and my mom, like they they crack me up. Like it doesn't matter what I'm doing or or how many you know people come to my events or how many clients I have or followers. I would like no, they'll be like, you still nosy Rosie. <laughs> you still, you know, um having those connections really um is really is really good and helps me not get caught up in like I don't know what happens with like online entrepreneurship. It's like people I don't know that you um how to how to how to phrase it, but um like people get really caught up in their personas, you know, online and I gotta be this type of person. I gotta do these types of things or show these types of pictures. And it's like, no, you, you just get to live your life and be who you are and not think of yourself as I'm, I'm an influencer now. So I have to do certain things. It's like, no, I think sometimes people try to put you in that box. Um, and it's like, I am a human being and I am not perfect. I don't, uh, purport to be or pretend to be. And if you want to learn from me, great. If not, that's fine. Um, so I think that especially as you get more successful as an online entrepreneur, it's important for you to remember that you, you're a human being <laughs> and your family doesn't care how many followers you have. I just love that. I mean, my grandma still doesn't understand what I do. <laughs> she doesn't get it. And I love that. <laughs> I really do. That's so sweet. You mentioned being a poem reader or liking poems. I like to ask guests, is there a song lyric or a poem that speaks to you these days? Um, oh gosh, there's so much music. I love music. There's so much music. My favorite artist right now is Eric Roberson. Um, it's like R&B, neo-soul type. Um, but anyway, I would say from a poetry standpoint, there's one um, poem that, uh, one poet and poem that I really love and that really just reminds me of, of this life, like being a gift. Um, and that's Naomi Shiab Nye. She's a 
I believe Palestinian. Um, but anyway, she has this poem called So Much Happiness. Uh, and I wish I could recite it. Um, but basically the poem talks about the gift of just being alive and and the simple things that we take for granted. And like I said, I think that sometimes we make such a big deal out of stuff, especially online. And like people freak out about making a video. It's just a video. It's just an Instagram post. Like, what are you freaking out about? Like you, you got to eat breakfast this morning. You got to drink your coffee. You got to, you know, take a walk. Like that is a gift. Don't waste your life freaking out about things that don't really matter. So she has a poem called So Much Happiness, and it talks about um, the simple things in life that bring us happiness and that you shouldn't waste that. So I love Naomi Shiabnai and Eric Roberson for music right now. How do you like to celebrate? I love celebrating. It's been um, one of the challenges I've had in my business because I'm such uh, I, I'm, I'm, I always have goals, new goals to reach. And so many of us do. Right. Um, so two years ago, I became more intentional about celebrating my wins, especially in business, because I don't have a boss <laughs> to tell me you're doing a good job or, you know, giving recognition. And I like recognition. Um, so I like to give myself gifts that I would normally like like not do because it's like, oh, I don't really need that kind of thing or experiences. So making um, making it be okay to go to like the top steakhouse in the city, even though it's not my birthday, <laughs> even though it's not Valentine's Day or whatever, but it's a Thursday and I just got a new client. Yeah, let's let's have a $200 dinner. Let's do that. Um, like doing things to honor the accomplishments that I have had. Otherwise, it's just always on to the next thing, on to the next project. So I love to celebrate with something that would normally be reserved for a quote unquote special occasion, like a birthday or something. I used to only eat lobster on my birthday once a year. Can you believe that? I used to only think it was okay to eat lobster because it's expensive. And, you know, I come from a background where, you know, we didn't have expensive food. So if somebody's going to buy you a lobster, you know, you better savor it, right? So now I eat lobster all the time. It seems like the more you say yes to yourself, the more areas of your life you find to say yes to yourself. Mm -hmm. That's why I like to ask that question. How do you like to celebrate? Yeah, it's really about making it your new normal to live that life. Than just like, you know, a lot of women say, oh, it's my birthday, so I'm doing this. Well, you don't have to wait until it's your birthday. Like stepping into a new identity as a successful Black woman entrepreneur who also travels wherever, whenever, and however she wants, it's an identity that takes time to, to you know, to um, grow into. And so like making these things your new normal just makes it easier for you to make the next decision. It's like, well, okay, if I can eat lobster all the time, what else could I do all the time? You know, maybe I can, um, <laughs> I had this blog post back in the day I wrote called um, Stop, um, oh gosh, Stop 
stop some it wasn't stop oh it was start start wearing your good panties <laughs> so it's like we save panties and lingerie with the tag still on it you know for that special occasion that that sometimes doesn't come or the good china or whatever it is like making that your every day like every day is a special occasion every day is a special day um making that a new normal is you know a beautiful process there's so many things i want to ask you but <laughs> we're already we're already hitting that two hour mark almost so <laughs> I um, always, always like to ask my guests, how can listeners support your work? Yeah, well, I create a lot of content. So um, I think that one of the best places to get started with me is following me on Instagram at Rosetta Thurman. Um, And you can find everything that I do from there. I'm loving Instagram, um, especially this year. I don't know why. It's just I never hated it, but. I'm really loving Instagram and all the connections I've been able to make there. Um, And then you can join my Facebook group. It's called Scale to Six Figures. And actually, you can go to scale2sixfigures.com or go to my website, rosettathurman.com, and you can find all the things there. But yeah, if you join my Facebook group, you'll meet some incredible women and you'll get free trainings from me and um, all the ways that we can work together in the future as well. Thank you so very much. I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing everything. You have said all the words. (laughs) You have given us (laughs) everything we needed and more. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Rosetta. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. This was really fun. (laughs) I'm glad I had a good old time. All right, well, you take very good care of yourself and we'll see you on the internet streets. Thank you. Ba-dum, ba-dum, ah-um, ba-dum.